Alexa Shimon sent me a sermon this week. Her son, uh, Jordan, was preaching, and she wanted to share it with me. And Jordan, I knew him when he was a teeny tiny little boy, and now he's preaching up a storm. Uh, Jordan said something in his message that really struck me. He talked about the danger of you and me carrying the title of Christian without carrying the nature of Jesus. I want to say that again. The danger of carrying the title Christian without carrying the nature of Jesus. And it's so true. We want to proclaim Christ with our mouth, but our hearts are far from him. We broadcast him with our words, but our lives and behavior broadcast something completely contrary. I don't know about you, but you, you know about my past and my life, and I was active in my pursuit of the flesh. I chased after the flesh like it was the best thing since sliced bread. And I wonder how many of us actively pursue the fleshly things in life, but do we have that same kind of energy and tenacious chase that we have towards the Spirit of God? Do we use that same uh, pursuing that we use to pursue the things of the flesh to actively pursue the things of the Spirit? And what would our life be like if we did? First Timothy 4 says that we need to train ourselves to become godly. Timothy said, uh, for, uh, Paul told Timothy, physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. He's saying we need to train ourselves to become godly. It requires work. It requires effort, which we don't want to hear that word. But Paul said, train yourself to become godly. Many of us would not dream about spending a day without exercising, and yet it's been months since we picked up our Bible. And yet Paul's saying that, that, that physical training is of some value, but godliness has value in all things. And tonight, I'd like to talk to you about that very thing. We're going to continue to look at our, our, our series in James. We're going to look at the rest of chapter 1 and how he tells us that, that we need to basically pursue the righteousness that God desires. And that's what I'd like to talk to you about. If you have your Bibles, you can open them to James chapter 1. I'm going to ask Dave and Leslie to bring that sign up here. But let me just finish reading this scripture. I'm going to read from Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion. And that word dominion there means to rule. It means to cause, to dominate. It means to tread down, to prevail against, to take possession of. God said, I'm going to make man in my image, and man is going, I'm going to give them the, the power to dominate, the authority to dominate, to prevail against, to, to rule. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. And that word subdue means to conquer, to bring into subjection, to overpower by superior 
force. Oh, I like that. To overpower by superior force. Mm. He said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, see, I've given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed. To you it shall also be for food. Also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth, in which there is life, I have given every green herb for food. And so it was so. And then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. And then he goes on to say that, that in, in chapter 2 of Genesis, where God is creating man, the Bible says that, that he created him out of the dust of the earth. Out of the dust of the earth, God took man, and he created him. And then he breathed into him the breath of life, and man became a living soul, the Bible says. And so I want you to remember that scripture as we go over this, this diagram just one more time. I know it's far away, and I'll leave it up here for you to come and see afterwards. But, but you know the story that, that we are, I believe, a tripart being. Some of you might argue with me. I get to teach. I did the study. I'm going to tell you we're a tripart being. I understand that you might feel we're only a bipart, but I really believe we're a tripart. And so that's how I'm going to teach it tonight. But but. but here, here are the three parts. We are a spirit. The Bible says that, that those who worship the Lord will worship in what? Spirit and in truth. We are a spirit. When you and I were born again, the Bible says that the old man was gone and the new man has come. You've heard me say a million times, when you get born again and, and you are, uh, you're struggling with, uh, with uh, let's give me an issue. You're struggling with anger. You're struggling with anger, and you get born again, and you, you invite Jesus into your life. He becomes your Lord and Savior. The Holy Spirit comes and dwells within you. You've been made new. Your spirit man is made new, but the next morning you get up, and you still have an anger issue. Why is that? It's because the spirit is made new. You, 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 you've been born again. You have a new spirit. That spirit man is made new. You've been sealed for the day of redemption. That's why nobody can snatch you out of his hand. That's why you can keep, you can sin again and, and, and you don't ever, you're, you, you haven't lost your salvation because you've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. This is the new man. But you have a spirit, you are a spirit. That's how you relate and commune with God. That's why you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You can't strive to be righteous. You can't, you can't work to be righteous. You are now the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's your position. You, 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 nothing can change that. When God looks at you, we went over this last week, when God looks at you, he sees Jesus. You're, you're still messed up. You're still doing things you ought not to do. But you see, God's wrath was satisfied on the cross of Calvary. Christ now, when God looks at you, he sees Jesus. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You're right with God. Nothing can ever change that. Because you're sealed. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That spirit man is. But you have also a soul. You have mind, you have will, you have emotion. The soul is really that flesh. It's the thinker, the feeler, the chooser. It's your, your mind, your thinking, your thinking and your reasoning. It is your emotions, your feelings, your attitude, your memories are in your soul. It's also your will. 
your will. I, I can choose what I do. That's why the Bible says be led by the Spirit and not by the flesh. I can choose if I will submit to the Spirit in my life. I can will it or I can will to let my flesh rule. I have a choice. The Spirit is a gentleman. He is never going to go someplace where he's not invited. And, and if I don't choose to submit to the Spirit, my flesh can rule. And then you live in a body. So you, you are a spirit, you have a soul, you have mind, will, your emotions, and you live in a body. And the Bible says that when God created Adam, he created Adam from the dust of the earth. So interesting, the, the name Adam, we see it in, in, in Genesis 2-7, when God created man, that word man is Adam, where we get Adam. And Adam comes from the root word Adama, which means ground. And so what Adam is, is a ground man. Do you know that you and I are human beings? We're, we're human. Do you know where that comes from? In the Latin, it comes from the word humus. Anybody ever put hum humus in their garden? It's good ground, isn't it? It's choice ground. And, and human comes from the word humus and man. You're a ground man. Do you see that? Here, sitting in this room tonight, are a bunch of spirits in a body, in a body. That, that's why the enemy wants, uh, the, the devil wants to come and take possession of you because he doesn't have a ground body. He's not a ground man. He has no place for, his spirit, for the spirits. They have to be in a ground man. And so when God created you and I and he knit us together and he formed us out of the dust of the earth, that's why when we die, we go what? Back to the dust of the earth, we, do we not? Because you don't need this body. It just needed to house a spirit. That's why I absolutely refuse sickness. Do you know why? Because God needs my body to house the spirit so that I can do his work and dominate here on earth. Do you get that? See, if you really got that, you'd be refusing all of this garbage that the enemy brings at your life. Because you and I were created to dominate, to rule. What, what, what did I tell you the, be the best part was? I just, I wanna get it right because it's so good to prevail against, to overpower by superior force. Oh, man, does anybody get that? That you and I were created by God. This is not Rhea making this up. This is the word of God. You and I were created by God to dominate, to overpower by superior force. Oh, come on. That's so good. That's why you should never, ever fear. People say, well, well, I don't want to go in that dark place. Are you kidding me? You were created to overpower by superior force, to dominate. And I just believe it. I believe God's word. And so when the enemy comes and he brings sickness, it's because he doesn't want you dominating. He doesn't want you overpowering by superior force. He knows that your body is simply a vessel to transport the spirit. And he also knows that along with the body to transport the spirit, you have this right here, the soul, the mind, the will, the emotions. Let's go back to the body. What's in the body? Organs, your five senses, your brain. My soul is my thinking, my reasoning, my emotions. Now, everything in my soul connects to this body. These two communicate constantly. 
So that's why what we think will affect our body. That's why uh, the, the women getting free of this, men getting free of this garbage is important because what we're thinking, you see, Dave will be the first one to tell you he's done his work. He's getting a degree in this. He will tell you that, that, that watching pornography affects your brain. You're taking that in through your five senses, and it's a proven fact, is it not, Davey, that your brain is affected by what you're seeing. New pathways are developing, an addictive brain does that. And so now you have pathways, and now what was once a moral decision has now become a brain problem, and you can't control it. Because, here's why, your thinking affects your body. Your thinking, your emotions, your desires, and your passions affected the brain. That's why I'm telling you, we got to watch what we're thinking on. We got to watch what we're meditating on. We got to watch what our emotions are. Anxiety. What was it? What's that scripture, Leslie? Anxiety will bring heaviness of heart. But your emotions, what you're thinking on, your passions, your desires, your affections will affect your body. If you don't think it does, I'm just sorry. I'm going to argue with that one. And see, if you really got this in you, if you really understood that we were created to dominate, to overpower with superior force, what would our life be like? But instead, we're taking that stuff into our life. We're taking thoughts that we should not be thinking on. We're dwelling on memories that happened 25 years ago that somebody did to us because it wasn't about flesh and blood. It was about the enemy of your soul who came to steal, kill, and destroy because he understands there is a spirit in you that it was created to dominate, and all he has to do is limit you here, and this doesn't dominate. Does that tick anybody off besides me? And so, your body, soul, and spirit, that, that body, the Bible says, uh, somebody turn to 3 John 1. 3 John 2, 1, 2. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as what? Somebody tell me. As what prospers? As your soul. Beloved, I pray that you might prosper and be in what? Good health just as what? Is there any wonder we're sick? Beloved, I pray that you might what? Prosper and be in what? Even as your mind, will, emotions, memories, thoughts, reasoning prospers. That's why it's vital, guys, that we mind our mind. That we are constantly lining up our thinking with the word of God and saying, does this line up with God's word? Take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. If what I'm thinking on, what I'm reasoning, if the emotions I'm feeling do not line up with this word, what do I need to do? Take that thing captive to the obedience of Christ. But instead, what we do is we meditate on it. We think about it. We go places we should not ought to go in our mind. And is there any wonder that we're not prospering? Because we haven't minded our mind. The Bible says, be ye what? Transformed by what? The renewing of your mind, your soul, your soul. So, beloved, I pray that you might prosper and be in good health even as your soul prospers. See, that rocks some of you. You're like Rhea. God's word. I'm not going to apologize for it. I'm not going to apologize for believing God's word. And so, according to 1 John 1, 2, he says our spiritual health will affect our emotional health and our emotional health will affect our physical health. Beloved, I pray that you might prosper and be in good things even as your soul prospers.
So your body is your world conscious. I have five senses and I'm conscious of the world around me because of my body. My soul is self-conscious. Oh, just ask me. I'm self-conscious with what I'm thinking on. My emotions are really self-conscious. And then the spirit is God-conscious. That's how I relate to God. It's how I commune with God is through my spirit. God is a spirit, and those who worship him will worship him in spirit and in truth. Now, all this body is, is your spirit's outward sheath. Um, it's just your outward sheath. And, and so if you can think about that, if you can think that, that, that all my body is, is a sheath to hold my spirit. It's a vessel to hold my spirit. It takes me where my spirit wants to go. I'm telling you, when I walk into a room, Leslie, if I'm lying, I'm dying. When, when I walk into a room, or less than I walk into a room, when I go into a conference on a weekend, I am mindful that my body is merely carrying the spirit of the living God into that place. That I'm an atmosphere changer because he lives inside of me. And see, if we've really got that, we were created to dominate and overpower by superior force. Do you believe it, guys? Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that when God created Adam, he, he, he put him together by the dust of the earth, and, and, and he breathed the breath of life. That's the Spirit. He breathed the breath of life into Adam, and Adam became a living soul. Spirit, soul, and body. You see, the spirit was the life-giving force. That's why I love the scripture that says, my words are spirit and, oh, come on, you guys are better than that. My word is spirit and life. My words are spirit and life. Oh, today, I'm just going to tell you, I struggled uh, just a little bit with, with, with not having some life, uh, with being a little sad about some things. And, 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 and it took me a couple hours before I was like Rhea. His words are spirit and life. Get in the word. Get in the word. And I'm telling you, it didn't take but five minutes, Davy, am I right? It didn't take but five minutes till I realized his words are life. And I started, instead of meditating on my situation, I started to meditate on his word. And I'm telling you, the life-giving force started to rise up inside of me and push out all that garbage. Because I had a choice. Would I be led by my spirit or would I be led by my soul? my emotions, my feelings. And that's why the Bible tells us that we have a choice. Will you be led by the Spirit or will you be led by the flesh? But we make the choice in our will, in our soul. Remember, it's a will. I will which one I'm going to put on the throne. That's why, you know, the Bible talks about you going on sinning. And, and how can you sin if you tell me I'm without sin and that it's impossible for me to sin, but yet I'm sinning? How does that happen? Because what's been made new is the spirit within you. But you still have a soul that has a mind all in its own. But he is the life-giving force inside of us. The Bible says that the flesh profits nothing, nothing, I gain nothing by walking according to this soul. My flesh profits nothing. Without the quickening of the spirit within us, we are dead and without the life-giving force. His words are spirit and life. He says, the words that I speak to you are spirit and life. Does anybody want to take a guess 
as to what the word is when he says, the words I speak to you. Anybody? Logos? Rhema. You betcha, Lisa. The words I speak to you, the rhema I speak to you. See, there's a difference. The rhema is the aha. I got that. It went deep in my spirit. It penetrated me. I heard that scripture. It came alive in me. And the rhema, the words that I speak to you, the rhema I speak to you are spirit and life. That's why with God, nothing is impossible. You know that scripture? Everybody know that? That with God, absolutely nothing is impossible. Do you, do you believe that? Are we believers? Do we believe that with God, nothing is impossible? Okay, do you know what the word nothing is there? No rhema. With God, no rhema is without power to act. With God, no rhema. No rhema is without the dunamis, without the power to act. Do you believe that? That means, to me, that means that, that, that if I get a rhema, if I get a word from the Lord, you see, I got a word from the Lord. This week I was reading, and it said that no evil will conquer me, and no disaster will come near my home. It's in my dashboard right now. No evil will conquer me, and no disaster will come near my home. Well, I started quoting that thing. I thank you, Lord, that no evil is going to conquer me. Absolutely no evil. Nothing anybody does to me, nothing everybody says to me, nothing that rises up against me, nothing that comes against me. No evil will conquer me. And no disaster will come near my home. See, I got a rhema. And that rhema got deep inside of me where I went, huh, no evil will conquer me. And no disaster is coming near my home. My sons will be taught by the Lord, and great will my children's peace be. Those are ramas for me. I got them. And so, no, with God, no rhema is without the power to act. You see it? The words I speak to you, the rhema I speak to you, are spirit and life. Life-giving force. Today, when I didn't feel the life-giving force, I was intentional to get in his word because he is the living word. And it started to just bring a life inside of me again. We were created for dominion. The scripture that's been on my mind all night tonight the whole drive here, as we were praying as a team, the scripture that just kept coming through my head was, all of creation waits for the sons of God to be made manifest. All of creation waits for us to rise up and begin to manifest the presence of God. Because you see, we are a spirit, we have a soul, and we're housed in a body. And all of creation waits for us to not be led by that flesh, to not be led by our feelings, our emotions, but rather to begin to manifest the power of the living God that lives inside of us. Because we were created. See, all of creation understands. They know that we were created for dominion over them. To rule, to prevail. And so one of the ways you say, what does this have to do with James, Rhea? Here's what it has to do with James. 
is when we really begin to understand God's word and that his word has been given to us. You see, God does nothing on this earth without man. Without God, you can't. Without man, he won't. You say, well, why is that? Because he's given you authority. He's given you dominion. And God will not take back a law that he's put into place. He won't override the law that he has put in place. And his law says that he has given man dominion here on earth. Without God, we can't. But without us, he won't. Because we are his agents to act. And so unless we get that rhema word, that word of God, the word of God, the word of God in us deep, and we begin to use it and speak it and use it as a sword against the enemy, we will never dominate. We will not overcome with superior force if we don't understand the weapon that we have been given. We can't dominate without God's word. He says, I, I've, I've created you to, to dominate this earth, to have dominion over this earth. And we do that by exercising and using his word. The Bible says that the word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword. I've talked to you about a two-edged sword, how, how a one, one, uh, the, the, the one edge is God speaking it to us, and, and the, second, the second edge is us speaking it back out. It's a double-edged sword. It's the most deadly weapon you can come up with. It does damage going in and damage coming out. It's a deadly, deadly weapon. And the Bible says that, that the word of God is a double-edged sword. That when we put the second edge to it by speaking it forth, it's a weapon. It's a weapon to overcome, to overcome with superior force. That's good stuff, is it not? All right, so James chapter one. Let's look at this. James chapter one. Last week we talked about how God brought us forth by the word of truth, that we might be the first fruit of his creatures, that we need to be swift to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, and that's all about in response to God's word. And then verse 20 said, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Now, we're going to begin in verse 21. Therefore, therefore, if you, every time you see a therefore, ask yourself, what is it there for? It's a hinge. It connects the verses prior to the verses that are coming. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your what? souls be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror for he observes himself goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was but he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in all he does. If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. 
James says, therefore, or uh, I think the NIV or one of the other translations said, for this reason. For what reason? James has been talking about producing the righteous life that God desires. If we want to produce a righteous life because God desires it, James is going to tell us how to do that. He says, lay aside, look at that, verse uh, 21, Therefore, because of this, if you want to produce the righteous life that God desires, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word that is able to save your soul. Now, I want you to look, and we talked about this last week, that in verse 18, James is talking about justification. That when you and I have been brought forth by the word of truth, when we've been saved, when, when Christ comes in and becomes our Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit takes up residency within us. We have been justified by faith. It's just as if we've never sinned. When God looks at us, he sees Christ. He, he sees the blood of Jesus, which has satisfied the wrath of God. Therefore, it's just as if we've never sinned. It's not about works. You can't work. You can't be good enough for that. You can't earn that. It's a gift of God. You are justified by faith. That is your standing, but we have a condition. That's our position before God. We're justified, but our condition is we got a soul that's messed up, a mind that needs renewed. That's our condition. And so because of that, uh, we're told to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. We're, see, justification is one thing, but James is now going to talk to us about sanctification, Sanctification, we talked about last week, is sanctified means being set apart. Set apart for God's glory. And so in James, James in verses 21 through 27 is referencing sanctification, not justification. Sanctification is the process of bringing about the righteous life that God desires, actually manifesting it, walking it out. Are you with me? And so while we've been justified by faith, our, that's our position and our legal standing, and nothing can ever change that. We have been declared not guilty. But now we're learning how to walk that out. When we get to heaven, our condition will be the same as our position, but here on earth, we're encouraged to walk it out in fear and trembling. The same grace that saved us by faith the same grace that justified us, and it's just as if we've never sinned, now empowers us to walk out the sanctification process, to walk out in obedience to the word of God. And that's what James is going to tell us. If you turn over to Hebrews 10.14, I want you to see a scripture. Hebrews 10.14 says, it's back one chapter, or one book, Hebrews 10.14, it says, for by a single offering... He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Look at that. For by a single offering, he has protect, perfected for all time. That's past tense. It means it's already accomplished. Those who are being present tense, ongoing, sanctified. Now, how does that make any sense? By one offering, he has already perfected, sanctified, those who are being sanctified. How does that work? It's already accomplished, but sanctification is an ongoing process in our life. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body, there they are, all three, may all your spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
I like the Amplified. It says, and may your spirit, soul, and body be kept complete and be found blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. May you be whole and undamaged. Pure, whole, and undamaged. Oh, I like it. That means my damaged mind, because it's been through some stuff, is going to be pure, whole, and undamaged. That the sanctification process is going to accomplish that in my mind, in my thinking. That word sanctify means to render or acknowledge. It means to separate from profane things and dedicate to God. It means to purify. To purify internally by renewing of the soul. He says to sanctify you through and through. To sanctify you wholly. To set you apart for himself. So James says, how do you do that? He says, therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of, weak, of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. Lots there. Let's look at that slowly. He says, you want the righteousness of God, the righteousness that God desires? Choose to lay aside, and that word lay aside, it means to put away from oneself. It means to strip off like dirty, filthy clothing. Make the choice to strip that garbage off of you. And he says, filth, the filthiness. Look at that word. Lay aside all filthiness. That word filth means it's filthy clothed, it's dirty and stained. It's the spiritual stains in our soul. But it's so much better than that. It's actually a medical term. If you look it up, that word filthiness is a medical term. And it means it's a picture of earwax in your ears. Your ears being filled with wax. In other words, what James is saying is this stuff, this filthiness and this wickedness, what does he say first? Listen to the word of God. Be quick to listen. Well, how can you listen if your ears are stuffed with wax? And what he's saying is, as long as you are choosing not to lay aside filthiness and wickedness, as long as you're choosing to entertain those things in your life, it's like your ears are stuffed with wax and you're not going to be able to hear God. You're not going to be able to listen to his word. You won't even want to listen to his word because you're, you're, you're satisfied clothing yourself with wickedness and filthiness. He says, lay aside, renounce all filthiness and overflow of wickedness. I love uh, William Barclay. He says that word for filth is filth which soils the clothes or soils the body. And he says, James is telling us with the earwax illustration that readers need to get rid of everything that would stop their ears to the true word of God. When wax gathers in the ear, it can make man deaf, and man's sins can make him deaf to God. That word evil means evil in character, that which springs from bad attitudes within one's spirit. And these things do not, prove, do not produce the righteous life that God desires. And we need to make the choice to strip off those things like dirty clothing, to lay them aside, to lay aside anything that doesn't please God. How do I do that? By humbly receiving the implanted word which has the power to save my soul. Lots, of, lots there. Humbly, that means humbly. That means I don't like it. I don't like that I have to do this. I really want to have my own way. I really want to respond in the flesh. I really want to get even. I really want to react. I really want to nail that person. I really want to do whatever sin I want to do. But I'm going to choose instead to lay that stuff aside and humbly, even when I don't feel like it, submit to the word of God, which has the power to save my soul. 
He says, humbly receive, and that word receive is so great. It means to grant access to a visitor. It means not to refuse intercourse or friendship. It means to give ear to or to embrace. Oh, he's saying this is the answer. This is how you produce the righteousness, the righteousness that God desires. You humbly receive as a visitor. You humbly embrace the word of God. You welcome that thing into your life. Oh, that's so good. I talked to you last night about the word of God being a seed. And what happens when a seed gets good ground, when a seed gets hummus? Dave and I just planted some ferns in our front, in the front of our house and, and some pots in the front of the house and those pots were full of clay ground. Now if I just put my ferns in that clay ground, what's gonna happen? The roots aren't gonna be able to spread out, it's gonna just choke, choke the life right out. But, but see, if I put some hummus in there, hummus is, is really good ground, it's, it's loose ground, it's, it, it gives a, the ferns area to, uh, the, the roots area to breathe and, and it's good stuff and they love it. And, and so that hummus, when I put those roots in there, what happens? It loves it. It, it thrives and it brings new life. And, and I can already see the little ferns, new life is coming out on the little ferns. And, and that's what happens with you and I. You see, the word of God is seed. It's seed. And when you put seed in good ground, because you see our hearts should be good ground, it's the picture of the sower. What happens when the sower sows the seed? He just pitches it like this. That's all he does. And some lands on rocky soil, some lands on hard soil, some lands on good soil. Not all of it takes root. And you see, Sunday morning, the sower's throwing out seed. And some of us are sitting there with the cares and concerns of this world, and it's getting choked out. Some of us are sitting here angry with God, and it gets choked up and dries up. Some of us have the concerns about stuff going on in our life, and, and, the, and the trials and the tribulations we're in, and that seed gives a sun of the heat of that trial, burns it up. But you see, when we come ready to humbly accept the word of God, we got some hummus going on there. And that seed gets planted in our life, and what happens? It begins to germinate, and it sprouts, and it brings about the righteous life that God desires. When I make the choice to throw off all that other stuff, and I humbly accept it, I say, Lord, here I am. Deposit that seed in me. Deposit it, because I want, I want to produce the righteous life that you desire. And so I'm going to humbly accept, receive, embrace your word. I don't like it, Lord. So anybody besides me, sometimes I don't like the word of God. I know that you are far more spiritual than I am. But sometimes when I open the word of God, I'm like, are you kidding me? I can't even believe that you expect me to do this. Can I just tell you what is going on in my life? Can I tell you why this is not a good idea? Can I tell you why I should not have to be doing this? It should be that other person. And can I just tell you, Lord, why this is not good for me right now? And he says, Rhea, will you humbly accept my word? Will you listen be quick to listen, slow to counter it, and slow to become angry that I've asked you to do this for you. And would you let that word produce the righteous life that I desire in you? It's a choice, guys. I've set before you life and death, he says. Choose. I suppose you'll still go to heaven because you know what? 
This is sealed right here. You've been saved by grace through faith. Can't change that. But man, the walking it out, <laughs> the effects that it has in our life, you know, you can rock on with your bad self. I want that to happen in my life. I want to produce, I want to manifest. All of creation waits for the sons of God to be made manifest. It's interesting, that word, um, accept, is so good. That word accept, it comes from a root. And I've read this to you before, but I just want to, it means meekness, it means humbly. And it says, meekness towards God is that disposition of spirit in which we accept his dealing with us as good and therefore without disputing or resisting, without being angry and without being quick to speak. In the Old Testament, the meek are those who are wholly relying on God rather than their own strength to defend against injustice. Thus, meekness towards evil people means knowing God is permitting the injuries they inflict and that he's using them to purify his elect. It stems from trust in God's goodness and control over the situation. You see, it's one thing to accept that we are justified by faith. It's another thing to accept the continuing work of sanctification and allow the word of God to truly change us, transform us, mature us, and grow us up. That's why he said last week, Eagerly receive the truth. Be quick to listen to it. Refuse to argue with it and give excuses for not listening to it. The illustration that I showed you about body, soul, and spirit, uh, Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is alive and powerful. It's sharper than the two-edged sword, cutting between the soul and the spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Oh, that's why James says, and I'm getting ahead of myself, so Lord, just help me. That's why James says that, that the word of God is like a mirror and that we can't look into a mirror and walk away and forget what we look like. If I go to the mirror and I have mascara running down my face, I'm not gonna say, hey, I got mascara running down my face and I'm gonna walk away and do nothing about it. I'm gonna wash my face, am I not? And you see, in Bible times, when James was writing this, mirrors weren't like we have them today. Are you with me? They were hammered out of copper or, or, or metal of some kind. And so imagine what that must have been like. You could still catch a reflection, but you had to look really closely to get a good reflection. You had to really focus and concentrate on it. Are you with me? And so what we want to do is we want to go to the Word of God, and we want to just say, okay, speak to me. Okay, you got your five minutes. The Bible says that that is a mirror, that if we want to know who we are, if we want to know what we look like, if we want to know what God says about us, we need to go to this and we need to carefully look into it and we need to consider it and we need to stare at it until we get something, until we see ourselves in it. And then we can't just walk away and forget what we look like. Lord, I know that doesn't apply to me. I'd rather not deal with that right now. I just want the mascara on my face. I'm going to walk away and, and not do anything about it. But this word implanted in us will produce the righteous life that God desires. But when I look into it and I refuse it, I don't humbly accept it, 
I'm going to go away and forget what I look like and it's not going to really make any change in my life. Hebrews 4.12 says that that very word has the power to cut between soul and spirit. It cuts between soul and spirit. It's able to divide <laughs> between soul and spirit. You see, sinful habits are rooted in the soul, in the mind, in the thinking. And the only way to expose those areas is to cut them off with the sword of the spirit, the word of God. But you see, if we never pick up that word, we never have the sword to cut away, to separate the soul from the spirit, to separate my soulish thinking from my spiritual thinking. Are, are you with me? Do you follow that? And so no wonder we can meditate on something that's not effective, that's not helping us, and never recognize it because we're not sitting in the word of God to be able to discern between the thoughts and the intents of the heart. When we accept the word of God in our life and humble ourselves under it, it exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. It uncovers the filth hidden in our hearts and the wicked things that you and I do. When we accept and welcome God's word as truth in our life, it shows us our hearts. Because God says our heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. That we're deceived by the pride of our heart. And so when we get in that word and we humbly accept it, it exposes the areas where we're deceived. And the word of God will cut through and separate every part of our lives. It'll separate the sinful thinking. It'll separate the behavior that we don't like. It'll separate, it'll cut through the junk in our life. James tells us we were bought, brought forth by the word of truth. We see that in verse 18. But now he says, that word will sanctify you through and through. It'll produce the righteous life that God desires so humbly accept it. When we voluntarily submit ourselves to God's word, the nature of God gets formed in us. We start looking like him. We'll start manifesting his likeness to the world around us. I heard a pastor uh, talk about how if I, was, uh, if I was in a house, let's say I was confined to a house, I was in a prison, let's say, and I couldn't get out, and I didn't know what the weather was outside, I could go to the window and look, but really I, I wouldn't know what the weather was really like. But if I saw somebody walking down the street with hat and mittens on and a, and a heavy coat, what, my, what conclusion could I draw? It's cold outside. Now, it wouldn't be that the person with the hat and mittens and the coat made it cold. The fact was, it was cold, and the hat and mittens were just in response to that coldness. Are you with me? So when an unbeliever looks at our life and he sees us manifesting the characteristics and the traits of God, the, well, well, the righteous life that God desires, does he look at us and say, wow, they're really causing that to happen in their life. They're working hard to have that happen in their life. Or will he say, wow, you see, all they're doing is manifesting what already is in them. You say, Maria, it's works. No, it's not. What you're doing is manifesting. You're walking out 
the righteous life that God desires because sealed in you is the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And when you choose to walk in obedience to the word of God, all you're doing is walking out in accordance to the spirit what is already in you. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Watch me manifest that thing as I walk in accordance to the spirit. However, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, but I want to submit to my mind, my will, my emotions, and just think on whatever I want to think on and do whatever I want to do. Am I going to manifest? No. And so the unbeliever looking at me, what's he going to see? No difference, no distinction. And so Jordan's little statement, we carry the title of Christian without carrying the nature of Christ. So, the word of God is implanted in us. And just like a seed that's implanted, it requires nurturing, it requires fertilization, or it will wither away. Paul said to Timothy, train yourself to become godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things. He says, watch your life and your doctrine closely. Make sure they line up. Nurture that godliness in you. Receive humbly that word of God and let it change your life because it has the power to what? Somebody tell me what it says. For it has the power to save your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions. You see, I'm just going to tell you, I deal with, with women especially every single weekend. I know women, men, I, I, I think I know you too. I got me one. But I'm just going to tell you, especially women, we are so led by our emotions, by our feelings. And that's what governs our life. It's what rules our life. And so when James tells me, Rhea, humbly accept the implanted word of God because it has the power, the dunamis, dynamite, it's where we get that. It means effective power. It means working power. It means power to produce. And what he's saying is it has the power, Rhea, to save, to deliver your thinking process that is not good. It has the power to deliver your, your emotions that are out of control sometimes. It has the power to save your soul. Is that good or what? And see, some of you are sitting here tonight and you've got stuff going on in your mind that is not good. You're thinking on things you ought not to be thinking of. You're defeated by stuff you should not be defeated by because you were created to subdue the earth. You were created to dominate. You were created to overcome with force. And yet, the enemy whispers, you're no good, you're a failure, nobody likes you, you'll never amount to anything. If people knew who you were, they wouldn't really like you. You can't do anything right. You should walk in shame and guilt because of what you've done. If people knew what you did. And he whispers. You should just wait to be rejected because you really deserve to be rejected. Everybody abandons you. When they find out who you are, they abandon you. God doesn't love you. Look at you. He doesn't and those are the things that we start letting our soul, our mind, our will, our emotions to think on. But when we start getting in the word of God and we look in this mirror and he says, oh dear one, you're my treasured possession. You're the head and not the tail. You're above and not beneath. You've been chosen by God. You might be rejected by men, but you've been chosen by God. You're the apple of my eye. Every tear you've ever cried, I've kept in a bottle. I'm the God who sees. You're fearfully and you're wonderfully made. 
I have you in behind and before, and my hand is upon you. And and what God has brought, oh, let no man put asunder. But no weapon formed against you is going to prosper. That's your inheritance from me. You see, this is the kind of stuff we get when we start reading this word. When we go to the mirror and say, tell me who I am. Tell me who I am. But you know what we do? This is what we do. We go to the world and we say, Kelsey, tell me who I am. Reflect back to me. Am I a good person? Am I a bad person? Do you like me? Do you not like me? Kelsey, tell me who I am. Am I good enough? Do you really like me? Are you going to reject me too? Tell me who I am. Do I measure up, Kelsey? Am I good enough for your little circle? Tell me. Reflect back to me who I am, Kelsey. And if Kelsey says, "Mm, don't like you, like, oh my goodness, nobody likes me. What am I going to do? I'm a failure. I can't even mount anything. I go back to the real mirror because as much as I love Kelsey, she's a distorted mirror. Those of you who read, read my book have heard this story, but, you know, funhouse mirrors, love them. Especially the ones where you look super skinny. Oh, baby, I love those. And as much as I love them, I'm not going to be foolish enough to think that is really what I look like. Or, you know, the ones that make you look really short and fat. I am not short. Uh, but, you know, they can make you look like a little dwarf. And uh, would I walk away and say, hmm, that's what I look like. I'm a dwarf. And I'm really fat. Would I do that? No, I would say that's a distorted mirror. You're not worth my time. I'm not believing. That's hilarious. I'm not even believing what I see there. That's what happens when I go to Kels. I say, Kels, tell me who I am. Reflect back to me who I am. He's a distorted mirror. I can't trust what somebody else reflects back to me. This is what I can trust. This is the only good mirror. This is where I find out who I really am. This is where I get that implanted in me, and it has the power to save my soul, my thinking, my mind, my will, my emotions, and deliver me and set me free. And he who the sun sets free, hallelujah, is free indeed. So he says, be doers of the word, not hearers only. Because <laughs> if you're a hearer of the word and not a doer, you're like a man who's looked in the mirror and walks away and forget what he looks like. Humbly receive that implanted word and do it. Don't just hear it. Don't just hear it. It's interesting to me, the scripture that talks about, and Lord help me, the scripture that talks about the man who builds his, builds his house on the rock. You know that scripture? And the waves come and it crashes on it and nothing happens. He says, that's, the scripture starts out, that scripture, and I've got to find it, it starts out by saying that he who, it starts out, therefore, whoever hears these things of mine and does them, the, the new, uh, the NIV says, and puts them into practice. I will liken him to a wise man who built his house upon the rock. And then it goes on and on and on. He's saying, when you don't just hear them, but when you do them, when you put these words into practice, it will change your life. You can't just hear them, you have to do them. You see, Jesus was saying that because he knew it was possible to hear his words, but walk away and not do them. And he says, when you do that, James is saying, when you hear the word and you don't do them, you're deceiving yourselves. I'm not going to, uh, you. some of you aren't going to like this, I really don't care, but, but that, pitch, that, that scripture where Jesus talks about building the house on the rock, do you know how that scripture starts? It starts with the passage that talks about, many will say in that day, uh, you know, Lord, Lord, did I not do this, did I not do that, and, and, and I will say away from you, I never knew you. 
And then he says, uh, away from me, you who practice lawlessness. And then he goes right away, therefore, because of that, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I'm, it's connected to that story. The therefore hinges on that story. <laughs> In other words, he's saying, if you hear my word, you're going to do it. Remember, hear, O Israel, the Shema. It means to hear and to obey. And the picture is, if you, haven't, if, you, if you aren't obeying his word, you haven't really heard it. He says, you're deceiving yourself. If you can hear it and not do it. And he says, but look at that. Go back to James. He says, those who look into the perfect law of liberty, oh, and continue in it, and are not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in all he does. Oh, there's so much there, and I won't stay there. Just go home and study it. But the perfect, it's perfect. Law of liberty, right here. He calls this a law of liberty. Freedom. When this word gets implanted in us, and we don't just hear it, but we begin to walk it out and do it, it brings liberty, it brings freedom in our life. And that man is blessed. He's blessed. We're blessed when we don't just hear this word, but we do it and we allow it to be implanted in us and it germinates and it produces new life. Because those words I speak to you, they are spirit and life. Is there any wonder we don't have life? And so he says, if anyone among you is religious, does not bridle his tongue, he deceives his own heart, that religion is useless. He says, this is how uh, you, you walk out your religion, you're good to people, you're kind to people, and you keep yourself from being polluted, corrupted by the world. We're told, don't conform to the patterns of this world, but be ye transformed by what? the renewing of your mind. Keep yourself from being corrupted by the world. I'm not going to conform to what the world says is acceptable, to what the world says is right. I'm not looking for an easy way out. Because I really believe that his words are spirit and life. I see it in my own life. It's so interesting to me that I can be in a pit. I can be full of self-pity and defeat. And look at my life and say, how did I get to this place? Do you know how I got to it? By choosing to follow my soul instead of my spirit. By choosing to obey my flesh versus God's word. I said to David today, here's what I'm learning. That when I am most defeated, when I am most down, when I am most ugly, it's when I'm choosing to do it my way instead of God's way. To react out of my flesh, to respond out of my flesh instead of in the spirit. And he says that my way, my words, are a life-giving force. So if you're here tonight and you are living defeated, 
you are living in despair and hopelessness, when your life is just, just pathetic and you think, I'm just existing, I'm just getting by, can I tell you there is one way to life and his name is Jesus and his words are a life-giving force and when you humbly accept them and you allow them to be implanted in you, they have the power, the dunamis, the dynamite power to save your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions. Wow, what would our world look like, guys? Because this world is waiting for the sons of man to be made manifest. For people to be able to look at us and say, I have no idea what he has, but I want it. I have no idea what she has, but I want it. Because their life is so much different than what I'm living. We are more than overcomers in Christ Jesus. We walk in victory. We walk in triumph. He leads us in triumph. Everywhere we should go, we should be taking with us the fragrance of Christ. We are the fragrance of Christ. Oh, do you love, I love perfume. I really, I like, Dave buys me really nice perfume. I love it. And, and I love that it, 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 I can spray it. And, I, and people walk by and they say, I just got a whiff of your perfume. What kind of perfume do you wear? Because perfume lingers. Fragrance lingers, doesn't it? One of my favorite flowers is lilacs. I have really good memories of my dad picking lilacs for my mom in the spring and seeing them sit on the counter and her face when he would bring them in. And, and lilacs are so fragrant that even now, those memories as a little girl, that fragrance is burned in my mind. I can still smell it because fragrance lingers. Fragrance is memorable, is it not? And the Bible says that you and I are the fragrance of Christ. To some we're the stench of death. They don't want anything to do with it. To others we're the fragrance of life. And we take everywhere with us that fragrance. And we should be leaving behind a path of fragrance for him that people are like, what is that? What's different about her? What's different about him? See, James is saying, he starts this whole chapter with trials and tribulations and how God wants to bring us through and he wants to use those trials to grow us up, to mature us, that he's given us wisdom to walk through it. He's given us his word and planted in us to save us, to deliver us through and to bring us through it victoriously. And so we can't question it. We've got to come to a place where we really just rest in God saying, you are more than enough for me and your word is more than enough for me. I love Peter and this is my last, this is my last bit and then I'll close. Jesus, and don't ask me where it's at. It's not in my notes. It's just coming through my head. But um, Jesus is saying something hard because he had a habit of doing that. You know, people always are like, you know, Jesus was this, sometimes he said things that were hard. I don't think we say things that are hard anymore in the church, but Jesus said some things that were hard, hard to receive. And even people said, that's hard. And, and they all start to walk away from him. And, and his disciples are left there. And he says to them, are you going to leave me too? That just, does that hurt anybody besides me? That Jesus says, are you going to leave me too? Think about that. And Peter, I think it was Peter. It might have been John. Peter, I think it's Peter. Peter, Dave. 
says, where would I go? Only you have the words of eternal life. I might not like what you're saying, Jesus, but here's what I know about them. They're a life-giving word. They'll give me Zoe life. I promise you, his word has the power to save our souls, to bring life where there's nothing but death, to bring life where there's hopelessness. Do you believe it?